0: Welcome to Education Matters with the Matsubaro School District Superintendent, Dr. Randy Traney, a podcast to look inside important education matters here in the Matsu. Hello, this is Randy Trainey, the superintendent here in the Matsu, and I've asked Deputy Superintendent Luke Fulp to join me because we're at the start of uh, the budget development process for fiscal year 2022. And so, Mr. Fulp, maybe you could talk our listeners through quick review of what the budget process is and the timeline and why we're doing this sort of outreach right now.
1: Yeah, great. Thanks for having me today. The budget process or timeline is uh, really the first part of the calendar year uh, heading into June where we would adopt a budget for the following year. So we follow a fiscal year rather than a calendar year for our finances, and it's important for everyone to understand that the school district is required to adopt and board. a Adopts and passes a operating budget annually. So this is a process we go through every year. It starts with in February, us just uh, compiling a lot of information and trying to get that information out to the community, all the stakeholders through different various f- uh, formats and forums. In terms of uh, how we release that, a lot, a lot of what we're doing this year is putting it on the website. We have a requirement under borough code, to submit a balanced budget, a preliminary budget, to the borough by April 1st. And that's a, a major milestone within the timeline. The borough then takes that request, and they see what did we ask for in terms of a, a local education funding number. And and then they deliberate on it over the next several months and determine what exactly they want to fund education. By April-May timeframe, we should know what the legislature provides to schools and and public education across the state of Alaska. And then once we have all that information, along with a better picture of our expenses, we bring all that information back to our school board. And they uh, have a couple more public hearings on the budget. And then they make any modifications that they uh, determine are appropriate. And they adopt the budget. And then uh, uh, we submit it to the uh, Alaska Department of Education and Early Development by July 15th. And then that's outlined in Alaska Administrative Code. So... A lot of this is dictated by either local ordinance or state law that kind of puts the guardrails on our budget process, but it is something that we do annually, and what we try to do, I think, just generally is really engage the public upfront in that process so that however involved they want to be all the way through to the very end, they're well informed and, and can provide feedback on their priorities.
0: All right. Last, uh, you mentioned something about the balanced budget, but last night we presented to the board a budget where we were not balanced. Could you explain to the, our listeners you know, how that part of the process works? When does the balanced budget actually occur, and how is that different from what we presented to the board last night?
1: Yes. So what we presented to the board was a budget that actually had a deficit of eight eight $8.5 uh, million. And uh, what, it, what that essentially is is a rollover budget that takes all of our current costs and uh, how they're spread throughout our operating fund we roll it over, given all the assumptions that we have for next year's spending levels, and without making any major modifications to those expenditures or without being uh, uh, too optimistic about what revenue might come our way, we present a very preliminary budget to the school board. We won't get to a balanced budget until March. That first school board being in March, we will present a balanced budget to the school board, and they'll make any changes to that if they feel that that's necessary, they'll vote on the preliminary balance budget at the end of March and then transmit that to the borough. So March is the first time that we'll actually have something that's balanced and kind of in a format that would be acceptable.
0: I know that you mentioned part of that process, it's we're estimating our what our revenues might be in this preliminary budget. Uh, all we've done is we've rolled up our current uh, operations one year And when we look at the revenues that we anticipate getting, we're starting out with an eight plus million dollar deficit. So I think it's important for viewers to understand, like, what is going on with the revenue sources? Um, How come we don't anticipate revenue keeping up with expenses? So maybe you could talk about the different areas, you know, the the large pots of money, the large buckets of money that comprise our revenue.
1: Of course. Yeah. So, I think the biggest reason is at this point, we are 75% of our funding comes from the state of Alaska, and what we are projecting with that is uh, that the main factor within that formula that drives funding is the base student allocation, and that's set at $5,930 per uh, adjusted average daily membership, which is an output of the foundation formula, complex formula. But in any case, that BSA hasn't changed um, since 2016. So it's remained flat for five years now, or at least it's projected to be uh, five or six years moving into next year. And uh, while we've received one-time money in certain years, we're projecting no one-time monies next year as well. So it's somewhat conservative, but it's also it's also a very realistic consideration for revenue because of the state's financial position and their, whether or not they have the ability to to fund an increase to the BSA with all of the other priorities that uh, the legislature and the governor have. So because state funding is 75% of our budget and a flat BSA going into next year, that really does restrict the resources coming our way to where any growth in expenditures then begin to outpace our revenue coming in.
0: Yeah, that's an excellent description of that particular problem that everyone in the state of Alaska, all all K-12 Schools are facing this problem and have been for five or six years now with flat funding from 75% of our dollars. Meanwhile, costs continue to go up. That obviously makes planning for budgeting uh, difficult because you end up talking lots of times about making cuts. I mean, we're looking at an $8.5 million problem right now that we need to address through use of one-time money that we may have in our contingency funds or reductions in services. There's one more problem that we're facing right now that I was hoping you could talk to folks about and it's the bond debt reimbursement program. Could you talk to people about that? We've done a bod- podcast on it, but now now is the time when we're actually going to deal with it and that could be part of this budget.
1: Yes, it's a policy issue that's on the docket this year, definitely down in Juneau. The governor is supporting 50% funding for the school bond debt reimbursement program. Historically, this is a program that's been fully funded by the legislature. Uh, Very rarely has it come in under 100% or very close to 100%, but in in the last couple of years it has as a result of just a decline in oil revenue and limited resources at the state level. What it means to us essentially each year uh, it's revenue that we don't receive as a school district, but it's actually revenue that the Matsu Borough receives. And it's as the Matsu Borough repays debt uh, for school construction there's a certain amount of that debt that is reimbursed by the state of Alaska. That reimbursement must be appropriated by the legislature each year. And if the legislature determines that they want to make a reduction to the amount of support that they're providing to that program, they do so with little advance notice to communities, I would say, because it's year to year. Uh, Right now, because of the last couple of years and the track record behind the limited funding that's gone into this program, we are all concerned here in the Valley with about $17 million that we could, that would otherwise be supported by the state of Alaska, and that maybe not coming to the borough in terms of state support. If that does occur, it puts the Matsu borough in a tough situation, and there's possible impacts to the school district as a result, um, because the borough would look to the school district as them needing our support to reuse our expenses, along with their, theirs, uh, potentially, to make up that difference. And so that's why it's something that we track, we watch carefully, and we support the full funding behind that. We're encouraged, of course, you and I have had many conversations about this, but we're encouraged that the governor supported 50% repayment of it this year. And uh, we just want to really communicate to our our public how important that that funding is.
0: Yeah, because for us, it's currently about a $17 million issue for the borough and then therefore for the school district. So a 50%... Reimbursement is clearly significant, and it still leaves clearly a significant problem to be solved. There's not all, you know, it's not all doom and gloom, I would say. There, there are some reasons to hope that there could be different legislation that may be passed. I'm talking specifically about Senate Bill 58, which deals with the correspondence factor. I understand it was introduced last week. Could you give a brief uh, overview of what correspondence factor means, what it, what that is, and how it could impact our budget to the positive?
1: Yes, so the State Foundation formula is a formula that makes adjustments to our student enrollment in various categories and with various student populations. And we come up with an output for that formula that is then multiplied by that base student allocation, which we referred to earlier of 5,930. Well, towards the end of the formula, we add in a special population for our correspondent student count. Those would be our, our students that are enrolled in both Matsu Central and Twinley Bridge Charter because they're added at the end of the formula, they do not benefit from other cost factors that would increase their funding. Uh, And so what Governor Dunleavy is proposing to do is to move them earlier in the funding formula. So uh, that population, that student population, uh, is adjusted by what's referred to as a special uh, needs factor and also a vocational funding factor and also fully fund proportion of each student because currently correspondence is 0.9 percent of each student and the governor would like to see that increase to 1.0 for us senate bill uh, 58 it's uh, likely to bring to us over four million dollars of additional revenue given our projection for enrollment next school year and so that's in the state's fiscal note around this this is a initiative that our board has supported over the last several years and it's something that I think is it would be a good thing statewide for all
0: school districts. Speaking of statewide, and you know that we've had these conversations with the delegation from the Valley even as recently this week, healthcare is an issue. You explained to the board last night the percentage uh, by, of, of salaries and benefits that health care represents. Could you talk to our listeners about what kind of issue we're looking at with uh, money spent on health care?
1: Yeah. So we had a slide that, I guess I'll start with total budget picture of our expenditures. If you look at all of the expenditures of the district and what it's projected to be next year, 83% of our expenditures are expected to be in the areas of salaries and benefits. Of that 83%, the second largest cost category in that 83% is health insurance, which is over 15% of that salary and benefits category. Uh, and we spend more on health insurance than we do on classified salaries. So classified salaries for us are any job classification in the district that is not a certified teacher. So it would be our custodians, our special education assistants, myself, who is not a you know, certified teacher, uh, any support staff in our IT department, our purchasing department, our accounting department. There's many positions uh, in our district, uh, close to 900 And we pay more on health insurance than we do on all those salaries combined. It's a startling number. It's uh, the total amount that we spend is $38.5 million just in our operating fund alone. And it's growing at an unsustainable rate. And I think that that's the most concerning part about that is year to year, we have no idea how much more it's going to grow by. And here we have limited resources trying to make best decisions we can about where to spend our money. And this seems to be a major cost driver for us that we can't control necessarily.
0: I like to use this simple example of that unsustainability of the growth of health insurance. The money that we spend is not all of the money spent on health insurance. Employees also contribute a significant portion to health insurance each year. So right now, for an individual in the district, that, that's about twenty five, twenty six thousand dollars $26,000 a year per employee. And at the growth rate of 8%, which has been sustained for a number of years... Nine years from now, that will be about $52,000. And that's where it bec- it's just unsustainable in a very short time frame. We have you know, plenty of positions who we'd be paying considerably more in health care than they would receive in salary. And so that's one of the topics that we pointed out to the board last night and we're trying to address um, at the state level because this is not just a problem in Matsu, It's a problem for every single district in the state of Alaska. Um, So thanks for talking about that. One thing that I think is really important is for uh, folks out there to hear what percentage of our budget we spend on instruction. And you talked about that uh, last night with the board.
1: So we, we had a couple pie charts and and these, all of these slides are online and they're available on our website. But what we do is we track this every year because uh, prior to 2016, the state actually had a requirement for school districts is that based on the chart of accounts that all school districts have to follow uh, and we're all audited on uh, our adherence to these this chart of accounts and our financial reporting around them. Uh, for consistency purposes and reporting purposes, the state wants to know where we're spending our money. Well, the instructional component uh, makes up all the areas of regular instruction, special education instruction, support services, and school administration, which is limited to the office of the principal only. So a lot of our certified salary costs and, and direct instruction that goes towards students, that's referred to as in- instructional component. The threshold that the state had that was written into law prior to 2016 was that school district must spend 70% of their budgets on the instructional component. We've uh, Historically, we've always exceeded that. So that's uh, something that's positive for, I think, just our transparency around our spending and our commitment to the public about where we're dedicating uh, resources But this budget currently, the the FY22 preliminary budget, dedicates 79% of resources to the area of instruction. But that definition, that strict definition that the state uses to define the instructional component is limited. And so some of the things that you would tend to think, well, that should be counted into the instructional component is not necessarily. Uh, So I'll just give everyone, all the listeners, an idea. So some of the things that would be excluded from those costs would be things like student activities, or uh, the first people that you see when you walk into a school, the front office staff that's not the principal, so the front office staff, and the, uh, some of the building costs that you would expect to be that are, are definitely school costs, but they're not on the instructional component, so the uh, cost to clean the school every evening, the cost to maintain the facility, change light bulbs, uh, do any major maintenance utilities, heating and power of the facilities, the snow removal, the insurance on the building, and any printing costs associated with just making copies of worksheets and whatnot. So all of those costs are outside of the instructional component. If we were to include them, because they are certainly school-related costs, and and if you look at where the money is spent, it's at that school level. If you include all those costs into the instructional component, that makes up 95% of our budget. So when people are kind of looking at our budget and thinking, where is the money going? How is it following the students? They can rest assured knowing that 95% of our budget goes towards schools. We have about 5% that is district administration and support costs that are outside of that. But the lion's share of all revenue received does go to the schools. And uh, so that's something that we can be proud of and stand behind.
0: You mentioned that there was additional resources available online, and I'd like to help our listeners find that if they're interested. So you can just go to matsuk12.us, and on the main webpage, there's going to be a link to go to the preliminary budget information. It highlights at the top there's a calendar, you know, February 4th, Education Matters podcast. Well, that's what you're listening to right now. Uh, On February 8th, we're going to have a tool that's live called Budget Balancing Act. There'll be a video, a walkthrough video posted. The tool will become live on Wednesday. You'll you'll find it on this same page. And Balancing Act is a really neat interactive tool where folks can see what happens by changing aspects of the budget. For instance, an, an easy one to think about is like, let's say that we want to reduce class size for our very young students, our kindergarten, first, second grade. Let's say we want it to be 20 to one. A person using that tool could make that change, and then the tool will automatically show you how much more revenue you would need to make that happen. Or you could do it the opposite direction. And so we want people to use that tool, and then that the information that you put in will help us tailor the budget. We will review that information, and we will share that with the administration and with the school board. Additionally, there's a survey that there's a link for a survey. It's more similar to what we've used in pre-COVID years. And I want everyone to know that that information will also be shared with administration and school board. If you have any questions or want any more information, contact our public information office at 746-9251. I want to thank uh, Deputy Superintendent Luke Fulp for being here with us today. And remember, education matters.